360 podcast featured on allhabs.net with your host Chris G. Hi everybody, welcome to episode 178 of the Habs 360 podcast. My name is Chris G. Coming up the next 60 minutes or so, part 2 of our two best of episodes of the second half of the season. We're going to replay conversations with Jeremy Filosa from 98.5 FM Sports, former NHL player Bobby Dallas and TSN's John Lou. You'll also hear Rick and I discuss if Carey Price should have attempted to play at least one game before the end of the season. But first, on the February 13th podcast in our popular segment, Winners and Losers of the Week, Rick and I disagreed on which list head coach Michel Terrier should have been included on. You were adamant that somebody belonged on the list, and I was adamant that they didn't belong. And you were going to mute my mic, and I was going to file a CRTC protest, and it was, it was a mess, right? <laughs> And the person we're talking about, there was actually two. There was actually two people we were talking about, but one of them was kind of a. You withdrew just uh, a few minutes before we went to air, but the one we disagreed with most was Michelle Terrian. Uh, we degree, uh, disagreed on most was M- Michelle Terrian, and you felt pretty strongly that he deserved a, um, a winner of the week, um, and perhaps the top winner of the week, and I. I don't know if he was a loser of the week, but I didn't. I didn't. I didn't agree with you there. So um, let, let's let's just explore that a bit. Why he should have been winner of the week? Sure, uh, Michelle Taren gets a lot of criticism, and just like we mentioned with uh, the caller in the first segment, he has to coach with the players that he has on that he has on on his on his roster. Uh, who is on his roster and who isn't, that's that's, uh, not up to him. He coaches what he has on hand. So he got a lot of heat. uh, Well, he's been getting a lot of heat throughout this losing streak for many reasons. Uh, During the losing streak, I agree that he he wasn't doing a great job. But this week, since our last episode, Canadians played four games. They won three out of the four. The game against the Edmonton Oilers, they knocked down out of the park, 5-1 winners. They played against the uh, Carolina Hurricanes, okay? They barely won, but they did win, a 2-1 win over uh, the Hurricanes. A game that particularly stood out to me was the game against the Tampa Bay Lightning on Tuesday at the Bell Center with the Canadians. So, Terrier, he gets criticized a lot about his uh, lack of in-game adjustments is one of the the critiques that uh, that he gets from uh, from the Terry haters as I as I call them. In that game against the Tampa Bay Lightning, he 
he made some adjustments. He recognized that Dale Weiss wasn't having a good game. He dropped him off the line with uh, Pacioretty and Dernet, and he put up uh, Sven Andrigetto to play in that line. Uh, Weiss was bumped down all the way to the fourth line, and Devante Smith-Pelly was moved up uh, on a on a higher line with uh, Fleischmann and Eller, and Devante Smith-Pelly even scored a goal in the, in that game. Okay, I can already hear the critique. It was just he just hit his leg and went in. But uh, regardless, we could always find excuses for everything that goes right and everything that goes that goes wrong. Last night's game against the Buffalo Sabres, this game, uh, the Canadians uh, offensively they scored two power play goals. Uh, the offense, uh, Terry has said it many times, when you score uh, three goals or more, you have to win. You should be winning those games. Last night, Canadians allowed... Five goals. The sixth one was an empty net goal. So I don't think for last night's game, Terry deserved any of the blame. Last night, to me, the blame was number one, the goaltending, and number two, uh, the defense. Don't get me wrong. I don't think Terry should be nominated to win the uh, the, the um, what's it called, the Adams Trophy for the best coach. I don't think he should be uh, nominated either to be a coach in uh, Team Canada at the World Cup. But I think he had a good week, and, well, we should give him credit for it. That's that's a good case. And and I think we want uh, our listeners, whether call in, uh, tweet us uh, at Habs360, and, and let us know what you think about, about Tarion. Um, I, I won't... I won't um, revisit everything that, that was argued during the week. I just, um, maybe if we focus in on, you, you mentioned the, the Tampa Bay game where you thought that Terran had a particularly strong game. Um, you know, you're right that, you know, we, he's criticized often for, for his game prep. Um, something that Jar Gallant used to do. Um, it, it seems missing. There's been so many times when uh, they said they, you know, we weren't ready to play. Well, that's the coast coach's job to make sure that the, the team's prepped and ready to go. Um, but it was, it was those, those adjustments um, on uh, against the Tampa Bay lightning. Um, I, I saw it completely differently. It seems to me. And if, if you go back through uh, the games, the adjustments that he makes are, and I call it the, the ad principle, anything for David DeHarnay principle. Um, you're right. Dale Weiss and uh, David DeHarnay have been awful. Uh, they were awful during, during uh, December when, when Tarion put them together. They've been awful for, you know, since they went back together. Um, and it's, it's pulling Pacioretty down. Uh, but when you look at at what he's playing with, um, it's just been been terrible. David Darnay has not been an NHL, not 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 a first line center. He hasn't been an NHL center uh, for for most of this season. And yes, Weiss was was bad, but Darnay was worse. Uh, and what Terrian did for the adjustment was, as you said, dropped dropped Weiss. Um, and and removed Andrew Ghetto. That that Fleischman Eller Andrew Ghetto line was terrific. Um he and he just broke up that line in order to help David Darnay. Um and and you know, he always seems to want to protect him from criticism. David Darnay had a Corsi of twenty point six nine in that game. And okay, if you don't like Corsi or you don't understand Corsi, throw it out. Think about shot attempts. Uh, Darnay had six four and twenty three against. That line was absolutely crushed by um, by the Tampa Bay Lightning. Still, when they were when they were trying to catch up or when they were trying to protect the lead, it was Darnay that was out there, um, so that he could what get a, an empty net goal to to hide his his horrendous game. It was. It, the 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 decision that Terrian made most in that game 
because David Aronay received the most ice time out of even strength ice time out of out of any Canadians forward. The decision that that Michelle Therrien made most in that game was sending Darnay over the boards. And that was a bad decision because he had a terrible game. Um, so for that reason, I don't think um, Therrien deserved the um, the credit for that particular um, win. It was, as you said, it was a, it was a win that, that many of us weren't expecting. It was a win against a, a top team after playing a lot of the bottom feeders. Um, and so that's where I, that's where I was. And I think we disagreed most on, on viewing that, um, that Tampa Bay game, um, both valid arguments. Um, and I, I think we'd like to, to get some opinion back from, from our listeners, uh, to see where they stand on it. Yeah. And you can, they can do it via telephone at one eight seven seven four five five forty nine forty five. Uh, or via Twitter at uh, a Habs360, and you can let uh, Rick know that he's wrong, and we'll def- you'll definitely <laughs> get lots of our time for for that. Hey, do you know do you know something that that going into last night's game, that if you do the uh, the calculations this season, David Darnay and Max Pacioretty, all this talk about um, their chemistry, which is a myth when you look at the stats, but. All that chemistry has led to two goals. They have combined. They have been on the ice together, five on five, for two goals this season going into last night's game. If you look at Eller and Galchenyuk, and nobody talks about their chemistry, they've combined for 18 goals. Uh, Okay. I'll, I'll just leave that there. Go ahead. Okay, so prior to the game against the Buffalo Sabres, uh, Michel Terry, when he, he had a press conference, he was asked about the usage of Dernay and, uh, and Lars Eller, and he was talking about the offensive zone face-offs that uh, David Dernay gets compared to the defensive zone uh, face-offs that Eller gets. So it's mostly uh, he sees it as uh, as their their assignment. So he sees Dernay as more of an offensive player compared to Eller, where he he could trust him a little bit more defensively when it comes to uh, to the shutdown role. We spoke about in the first segment about the line of Galchenyuk, uh, Plekanec, and Gallagher. So we're, uh, we're let's talk about like right now the here and now. This line is is the best line for the Montreal Canadiens right now. I think we all we all agree on that. So. Even at this point right now, with the, the way that the team struggled over the last two months, they had trouble scoring. They've found a line right now that is really working offensively. Do you expect Terry to break it up right now, that line? No, I'm not saying to break it up. E- even though, but but people always use the chemistry uh, argument to keep Pacioretty and DRNA together. So I'm saying there's no... The, the stats don't bear that out. There's no chemistry between them. They haven't, they haven't proved that this season. Uh, there's huge chemistry between Eller and Galchenyuk. Uh, so um, if chemistry was the, was the reason, um, I don't think it's the only reason it should be used. And, and no, I don't think uh, that line should be broken up. The obvious answer is there is chemistry between Eller and, and Andrew Ghetto. You put Eller between Andrew Ghetto and Pacioretty. You have Placanitz between Gal- Gallagher uh, and Galchenyuk. You put David Dernay because he's been struggling. He, he's been dreadful. But you put him back to that third, third line assignment with Weiss and Fleischman, who seemed to be um, comfortable and, and somewhat productive at the beginning of the season. And, and gee, maybe I have something there. Uh, maybe, but I think I think what it, it also boils down to that is that maybe Eller has more trust from the coach defensively when it comes to uh, to Denver right now. But but he, um, there was that quote this week that um, Eller played a terrific game, and um, well, let's hear it, Rick. Uh, I know which one you're talking about. You, oh, you got it. Okay. Yeah, let's hear it. He, he, Lars to be on top of his game he's going to make sure that he's really solid defensively and so 
that's the one you're talking about, right? Yeah, and when, when it went on, he said, I trust Thomas Pekanitz. I trust, uh, defensively, I trust Thomas Pekanitz. I trust David D'Arnais some, at, um, at times. At times? Is that what he said? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, but but he it was that backhand to, to Lars Eller when when Eller's um, been terrific and particularly in that game Eller was was good but Taryn couldn't bring himself to to compliment other than well he's on the top of his game you know when he's a good defensive player that was that was awful that was uh, and and Twitter reacted to that um, you know that was terrible to say about Eller throwing him under the bus terrific game. Uh, but I think after the the coach did sleep on it, thought about it, because he was asked about it again uh, prior to the game against the Sabres. Let's hear it. Lars is doing a lot of good things, you know. We all understand he's a natural centerman. That was an adjustment to him that to play on the wing, but it's easy to see that he's a lot more comfortable as a centerman. Uh, we give him more um, defensive roles. Um when there's face-off, lots of time he's going to be on the defensive side compared to, like we just mentioned, like the Darren's line is going to take face-off on the offensive zone. The Placanic line, the same thing, because he's got two wingers that uh, could produce offensively. So uh, um, defensively, I, I believe he's doing a good job. He's created, they're capable to create chances. And uh, um, he's a player at this time of the year that is always, in the past, on greatest game. And... Uh, so I think Rick, you realized what he said a couple of days ago, and he was trying to make up for it with that statement. Yeah, or the marketing department had a little chat <laughs> with him and said, <laughs> "Yeah, you know." So, so, we, so we, did... we've we've got off off track on our on our losers of the week. I get we can we can pick that up after, but I guess this gives a sense of uh, gives gives listeners a sense of of the kind of discussions that you and I have had, and also. I think the same kind of discussions have been happening on Twitter, Facebook, um, with Canadians fans who this is this is a big issue for them. Rick was right, and coaching was a huge focus of the fan base and the media since December 2nd, the date the Canadians' historic slump began. Habs 360 is the most informative and interactive podcast available, and on every episode, listeners and followers were able to voice their opinion via Habs 360 on Twitter, the AllHabs.net Facebook page, and via telephone. On the April 9th podcast, Tor Habs fan called in the episode and expressed his displeasure towards the Habs. I'm um, not doing too good, guys, to be honest with you. Uh, the thing's got me a little upset. I don't understand how Mark Bergevin can give Michelle Therrien a vote of confidence, or according to Darren Dreger, he's about to. And I don't even understand how we're talking about P.K. Subban having the possibility of being traded. Mark Bergevin has done nothing, nothing to instill this trust that he has from Molson or whoever's not firing him, so I guess Molson, and mm-hmm. same with Terrium. We have all said, or a bunch of us have said last year and the season before, Terry Price masks the problems of the Montreal Canadiens. If Terry Price was gone, we wouldn't make the playoffs. No one's, a bunch of people said that wasn't true. This year he's gone. We're seeing it's true. Terrian needs to be fired. The use of players, Galchenyuk being on the wing, not getting ice time, Darren A being on top line for, all, for so many years, it, it, it's all there. Everyone can see it except for Bergevin. Bergevin needs to put the CH instead, on top of the loyalty he has to his friends, Terrian, the coaching staff, and the minors, everything. P.K. Subban is more important to this club's success and future than anybody in this organization with the exception of Carey Price. And that includes Bergevin and Terriant. And if anybody in this organization cannot coexist with P.K. Subban other than Carey Price, then they can go elsewhere. We have a lot of good players, guys I don't want to see go. Max Pacioretty's got a great cap hit for a 30-goal scorer. And I don't want to believe that there's a divide between the two of them, but theoretically, if there was, Max Pacioretty can go elsewhere. P.K. Subban is that good of a player. The Patrick Watt trade sent us back 10 years. We're about to do this again. For a GM with no experience, who's done nothing but tinker with the bottom of the lineup, 
and a coach that's proven nothing that we could all see as flaws. I couldn't understand why we did it for Trombley, and I don't understand why we're doing it for Terrian. We need to get Molson to open up his eyes, step in, and save the situation before we send ourselves into another death spiral for 10 years. As you heard there, Torhaps fan was very passionate, and he echoed the sentiment of a lot of the Canadians' fan base. We're going to take a break. On the other side, Jeremy Filosa of 98.5 FM Sports speaks about the Jared Tenori trade and more. Stay with us. This is the Habs 360 podcast featured on allhabs.net. For the most trusted source of news, analysis, and features about the Montreal Canadiens, their affiliates, and their prospects, log in to allhabs.net, your year-round resource for anything Habs-related. That's allhabs.net. Habs 360 is proud to be a partner of Rocket Sports Media, digital media publishers of sports and entertainment websites. Their mission is to build a worldwide network of sports fans who are informed, engaged, entertained, and connected. Learn more about RSM, its team, and its portfolio of brands at rocketsportsmedia.com. Don't live close to Montreal? Ever feel like you're the only Habs fan in town? Chances are good that there are plenty of fellow fans just around the corner, and HabsTweetUp.com will help you find them. If you're interested in hosting a hockey party in your city, visit HabsTweetUp.com for more details. You'll be connected to other Habs fans near you in no time. Want the latest Habs news with game previews, reviews, and highlights? How about full coverage of development camps and special events? Looking to follow the St. John's Ice Caps or the Brampton Beast more closely this season? Perhaps you'd like to learn more about team prospects. Would you like a place to socialize with hockey fans all over the world? We've got what you're looking for at allhabs.net, the place where you'll find everything you need to be the most informed and connected Habs fan around. Allhabs.net. This is the Habs 360 podcast, featured on allhabs.net. Welcome back to part two of our two-part best of episodes. I'm Chris G, and you can follow me on Twitter at ChrisG1980. On January 20th, 98.5 FM Sports in Montreal broke that Jared Tenorti was traded to the Arizona Coyotes. 24 hours later, Jeremy Filosa, Montreal Canadiens beat reporter for 98.5 FM Sports, joined the Habs 360 podcast to give us his thoughts on that trade. Well, the first thing I'm going to say is I'm very disappointed that we let go a first-round draft pick without ever giving him a real chance to show us what he can do. I mean, you draft players in the first round, and you're hoping to build for the future with these guys. And now, uh, here we are, five years after this guy's been drafted, or five and a half years, and we've never really had a chance to give him say, 30 or 40 games to say, let's see what this guy can do at the NHL level. So, I mean, for me, as, as much as you have, may have looked at this guy in, in, the, uh, in the AHL, you haven't looked at him in the NHL, and you're basically going blind. You're trading this guy in a blind way. Uh, this is what bothers me the most. And I understand that with Gilbert coming back, somebody was going to have to go on waivers in order to be sent down. But for me... Uh, if you're going to build a team, uh, you might as well uh, try to keep these guys that you drafted and see what they can do. And if you need to make a roster spot by sacrificing a Tom Gilbert to, to get a draft pick, then that's what you might have to do. Uh, you know, there's an abundance of defensemen on the Montreal Canadiens right now, and I don't think that you're going to build this team long-term by trading first-round picks uh, for, obviously, John Scott is not even, I mean, this is just, uh, this is just uh, a throw-in or a player that, you know, uh, Arizona absolutely wanted to get rid of. Uh, and you're picking up a defenseman who's 27 years old, who's never cracked, really cracked an NHL roster. I can understand fans being upset and disappointed. And now knowing the value that the Canadians got for Jared Tenorti, are we convinced that if the Canadians would have placed him through waiver to send him down to the AHL, that's 
he would have been picked up? Like, are we convinced that that would have happened? Well, listen, I think if you're an NHL team and you have a chance to pick up a first-round draft pick and your scouts are doing their job and telling you, listen, this guy never got a chance. Nobody knows. Nobody knows if this guy is NHL caliber or not because they never gave him a shot. Then if I'm an NHL team, if I'm the Columbus Blue Jackets, heck yeah, I'm taking a chance with Jared Tenorti. You know, why not? I mean, what do you got to lose here? Uh, I mean, had he played one or two full years in the NHL and not been able to keep up the pace or had really shown some serious flaws, then you say, you know what, we've seen this guy, we've seen tapes of this guy in the NHL, uh, you know, uh, there's nothing to do here, this guy's not going to develop to be an NHL, then fine. But the fact that we haven't seen him at all or barely at all, uh, I would have taken a chance, definitely. Now, I mean... If you think that you can't get fair value for the guy, then just keep him and trade somebody who does, you know, who you can get fair value for. Uh, this is what I'm thinking here. And this move leads me to believe that the Canadians are still thinking that this year there's a real possibility for this team to make a run at the Cup. Otherwise, there's no way they would have let go of a Jared Tenorti uh, first-round pick, even though he had to go through waivers. Hey, Jeremy, it's Rick Stevens. Um, uh, well said, very well said, uh, which, which then turns us to the attention on our general manager, uh, Mark Bergevin. And I, I would say, it's, I think it's fair to say that he's had a pretty easy ride. Um, he's come in um, with, as he stated, his, his, uh, one of his top priorities were, was to acquire a scoring winger. Um, and in three and a half years, he hasn't done that. So, you know, there's lots of comments. In fact, I, I just, got a, we just got another one on Twitter saying, um, sorry, I can't be mad at Mark Bergevin because he's the hottest thing we have going. So, mm -hmm. you know, he's, Bergevin's hot. He's a snappy dresser. He's funny. He's a personable guy. Do um, you think the mood is starting to turn and starting to question um, you know, whether he, whether indeed there is a plan to carry uh, this team to the cup? Well, listen, there's one thing I'm really confused about is, you know, it seemed as though Mark Bergevin was not willing to trade away the future to pick up a guy that can help you now. We talked about picking up a forward, a winger, uh, whatever it might be, but now you go ahead and trade a first-round pick, and you're not getting that winger. I mean, I don't think anybody in Montreal would have complained if Jared Tenorti had been traded in a package deal uh, with, with, with a, a pick, whether it be a high pick or a low pick or even a, a, a roster player, in order to go pick up that forward who can help you, nobody would have complained. But now you're going against exactly what you said. You're trading away the potential future for nothing. So if you're not willing to trade away the potential future for a guy that can help you now, why are you trading him away for two guys that are probably not going to be on this roster ever? This is the question that I'm, I, I'm asking myself. And, you know, there's one thing. Excuses are for losers. And this is the reality. Mark Bergevin keeps complaining that there are no trades out there. There's no way to make trades. Listen, the system is there for 30 general managers. It is hard. It is tough. But you know what? Nobody wants to hear it. Just get it done. You know, when P.K. Subban is trying to score a goal and there's no space in the offensive zone, But that's the reality for 30 NHL teams. Nobody says, well, it's okay. We'll give them a pass. There's no space in the ice. No. Your job is to find that space. Create that space. Put the puck in the net. And nobody's going to give you a break. Nobody's going to tell you, well, there's no space out there, so it's all right for you if you're not scoring goals or you're not producing. I mean, we're, we're tough on Pacioretty. We're tough on Lars Eller. We're, we're tough on Placanitz. And we know their jobs are not easy. Bergevin's job is not easy. I agree. But don't... don't Don't give me these excuses. Just get it done. I mean, we all have a job. We all work. We all get paid. And at times, our jobs are never easy. But what does our boss tell us? I don't care how you do it. Just get it done. I'm paying you. Get it done. And that's it. Uh, Tim from Vancouver, one of our listeners, he, he writes, any chance that we can get the great Mark Bergevin on the phone or is he busy on his PS4? That's a great question. Uh, <laughs> well... You know what? The thing is, even when you do get him on an interview, he doesn't really say much. I mean, this team is so secretive about every single little thing that they do. Uh, I mean, they were upset with us because we had the, the Tenorti story. But, I mean, obviously, 
you know, we, we have guys traveling with the team, and if they see a guy that's not on the plane, it's also part of their job to report it back to the station. So, uh, you know, the general manager confirmed to us that Tornorti had been traded to Arizona, and we still got in trouble from the communications department telling us that we shouldn't have said it. I mean, if the general manager said he's gone, he's gone. What, are, what else is there to hide? If you wanted to hide it, he wouldn't have said anything. <laughs> True enough. Uh, we I, we put out a, a tongue-in-cheek poll via our Twitter, and the question was, what should the Habs do the next? What should Habs do next? The four choices were nothing, all is good, fire Terry, fire Bergevin, or fire both. And this was after the trades. I was thinking that Bergevin would have come up a bit more, but in fact, with uh, almost 400 votes, we have 63% of them saying fire Terry. So Terry is still the number one attention right now. Uh, considering the Canadians... Okay, Here's the thing, yeah, okay? I mean, yeah. when, when, when Terry and Bergevin sat together in the summer, and Bergevin asked Terry, what do you need? Terry, of course, must have told him, listen, I need a guy that can play on my top six, right? Okay, fine. Now, Bergevin made some moves. He picked up some players who didn't pan out, didn't work out. Seven didn't work out. Uh, Cashin didn't work out. Fleischman played well during camp and the first month of the season. Since then, he hasn't done much. Whose fault is that? I mean, can, can Bergevin actually go to Terry and say, hey, I gave you the guys you asked me for. You're not making them produce. No, the onus right now is on Bergevin. And I'm not saying to find, fire Bergevin because I think this team has made strides over these last couple of years. They've become a Stanley Cup contender with these guys there. So I don't think that firing the general manager or the coach is the solution. But you've got to give your coach the tools to play with. He does not have six legitimate NHL forwards right now to play on his top two lines so if you give him those players and they don't produce then you can turn to him and say listen i gave you what you asked me for you're not making them produce it's your fault but at this point in time it's hard to blame michel terrier what do you want him to do he doesn't have any guys to put the puck in the net and it was the same thing last year only last year they had a guy standing on his head in front of the net and he was making all the saves and that's the only reason they made the playoffs so you know, nothing has been changed in that sense. Uh, I was extremely disappointed with the re-signing of Lars Eller during the summer because I thought it was way too much money. At $1.9 million, which he was making last year, you could have easily have found somebody uh, to take him. But now you're stuck with him. You're stuck with his salary because he's making way too much money for what he gives you on the ice. And I'm sad to see Tenorti go because I think that in a major transaction, in order to bring in a top six, six forward, I think Jared Tonorti would have been a beautiful throw-in that a lot of organizations would have said, yeah, what the heck, let's take a chance with this guy. We'll take him. Let's see how we, we can develop him. And now he's not there anymore, and we have nothing of value to show for him. Just switching gears a little bit from the uh, the trade, um, you're in the you're in the locker room, and, and uh, you see things that our listeners may not. Uh, one of the things I think that... Um, over the last few years, one of the strengths of this team has been the unity, has been um, the camaraderie. It's been a really strong room. And we've seen how the opposite has, had, you know, a, a divided room has hurt a team. The Bruins last year, e- even in the Canadians' past, the, the Ribeiro uh, Koivu stuff, the Alan Walsh through Halak, the Metropolitan Darsh n- nonsense in the Jacques Martin era, it divides a locker room and it makes those problems that much, you know, the on-ice problems, it, it exacerbates that. Um, are we seeing the first cracks uh, in that unity? The, you know, people are talking about the, the dynamic between uh, Subban and Pacioretty. You know, some people were unhappy uh, about the way Markov's been treated. Are you getting a sense that there's some cracks starting to show in that really strong room? Um, you know, there are signs that are sort of starting to remind me of the centennial year where things starting off, started off great, and then after that, things just sort of, you know, drifted apart and things started breaking down in the dressing room, and that year ended catastrophically. Uh, you know, there are a couple of little things. Um, if you take a look at the statistics with P.K. Subban and the power play since the beginning of the season, he just scored a second goal right now. But he has got to be, and I haven't checked the numbers, but I'm sure it's not even close. He has got to be the absolute worst NHL player in terms of 
Productions goals scored, uh, prorated with the minutes played on the power play. It's got to be he's got to be first by a million miles. So I'm not putting all the blame on him because other teams are doing a great job on focusing on him. But the reality is, you have other defensemen on the bench, say Jeff Petrie, for example, who played on the power play in Edmonton. Markov, who at some point in time was removed from the power play. Uh, now you have other guys. You have offensive skills. Barbario is an offensive type type of defenseman. Uh, Bollier. Now these guys are watching from the bench minute after minute after minute after minute after power play minute for a whole first half of the season and looking to the coach and thinking to themselves, when the heck is this guy going to say to himself, what the heck, let me just give Petrie a try. What the heck, let me just give Bollier a try. Because it's not working. It's not working. So these guys are on the bench, and they got to be thinking to themselves, you know, what the heck do I have to do to get on? What the heck do I have to do to get a shot at this? And that makes for upset players in the dressing room. They might not be directly upset at Subban, but they're indirectly upset at him because the coach is keeping him out there, even though he's not producing offensively and scoring goals. Of course this is going to make for some friction in the locker room. And uh, that could be the beginning of that, especially when you start losing games. It just gets worse and worse and worse. As you heard, Jeremy Floza was quite passionate on the Tenorti trade and Canadian's general manager, Mark Bergevin. Following news from the Montreal Canadiens that Carey Price started to skate with full goalie equipment, Rick Stevens and I discussed on the February 27th podcast whether Price should play before the end of the season. Well, I told you guys when I got the update, and uh, I will be pleased to give you some update. And today I got some update that Carey will, um, uh, will put his gear for the first time uh, this afternoon at the Bell Center. This is the next step. And uh, we're all happy about that. So that was Michel Terrier yesterday uh, confirming that Carrie Price started to skate with equipment at the Bell Center with uh, no cameras, no media allowed to see it. And it was the same thing again today, Carrie Price skating with equipment at uh, the Bell Center. And Rick, I have to be honest with you, uh, prior to that announcement being made yesterday, I was expecting, I was actually telling people that I was expecting on Monday when Mark Bergevin uh, comes out following the trade deadline for his, um, I guess, his trade deadline wrap-up. I was expecting him at that time to announce that Carey Price is shut down for uh, for the season. But now that this announcement was made where Carey Price is getting with equipment, he, they didn't go into more specific timelines. They said that if they had more details, they'd get uh, they would inform us. But now, Rick, I'm convinced that Carey Price, he's going to play at least a couple of games before the end of the season. But the question is why? I mean, why, why would you do that? Um, well, Rick, look, he, I, I agree with you with the why. What, what I'm thinking now, why I'm saying that I think he will, is because I think right at this point, if he doesn't, we're going to start saying he had a setback. Yeah, okay, so, so it's a marketing reason. It's, it's, it's a reason so that, that, that the media shuts up and, and that, um, you know, the coaching and the, the coaching staff and the general manager can be right, saying that, you know, uh, we told you he was going to be back. Is, is that what this is all about? Uh, like, I, I really don't understand why, why you would put him in that situation. What's, what's to be gained by Carey Price playing any games this year? You know, at this point, he's been um, out, of, out of action for so long, um, you'd, you'd almost want a goaltender like that to go through a training camp, right? Um, it's like being off for the summer. You, you'd want to... Um, I understand, you know, his his knee, uh, it, it might be stable enough. He might have rehabbed it enough. But just as far as, as um, you know, being ready, his timing, all of that, that sort of thing, uh, can he do that in, in practice? I, I just, I honest, honestly don't understand why. Why you would risk any more, any any uh, you know reoccurrence to that injury or any other injuries because he's trying to compensate or trying to get back. 
I know he wants to be back in. I know he wants to be part of the team. I know, you know, um, the the Canadians don't want to to um, have a you know a, a continue this disaster that is their season. I know that Bergeron wants to protect um, Michelle Terrian so that you know he can say, ah, oh, there, you know, Kerry won a couple of games. See, if Kerry was back, we would have had a great season. Let's continue on with. Next season, 2016-17 Canadians with Carey Price and, and David Darnay between Max Pacioretty and whoever and our beloved Michelle Therrien behind the bench. This is ridiculous. This, this, this Michelle Therrien, I know this is Michelle Therrien free, free <laughs> show, but he has presided over the worst collapse in franchise history. Um, it should be abundantly clear. And is that why you're bringing Carey Price back to try and save his job? I, I'm sorry, I, I just don't understand. I don't understand it. What do you, uh, what do you think of this possible theory that Carey Price wants to play in the World Cup and the Canadians want him to play a couple of games before he goes there so then people don't... Because if you wouldn't play with a Canadian... And then his first game back is with the World Cup. Then uh, Habs fans won't be happy with that. Well, I I think he can play in the World Cup without playing uh, a couple of games. I you know I don't Habs fans are going to complain no matter what happens. <laughs> and if if that's the reason you're going to bring him back, and I, I think it's I it's I I'm, I'm not saying your theory is 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 silly. Um, because that's that's plausible, but I think it's a bad reason uh, if that's the reason uh, for bringing him back for a few games. Carey Price ended up not playing a game before the end of the season. Canadians fan base looking forward and hoping Price is 100% healthy for the start of next season. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we will hear from former NHL player Bobby Dallas and TSN's John Liu. Stay with us. This is The Habs. 360 podcast featured on allhabs.net. In every city around the world, sports fans flock to popular watering holes to share a few pints, some good grub, and to cheer for their team. Think your favorite sports bar deserves to be recognized? Or are you traveling to a new place and need to find the perfect spot to watch a game? HockeyPub.com is the answer. Find out where the best spots are in your city to eat, Drink and meet fellow fans. HockeyPub.com If you missed a recent episode of the Habs 360 podcast, visit the podcast page on allhabs.net or search Habs 360 on iTunes for our archives. Want to make sure you never miss another episode? Subscribe to Habs 360 on iTunes and all new episodes will automatically download for you. Frameworth is the exclusive supplier and distributor of autograph products for some of the best hockey players in the world, including Carey Price, Sidney Crosby, Jonathan Taves, John Tavares, and Alex Galchenyuk. Thanks to Frameworth, Habs360 listeners can receive free shipping on any order. Shop online at frameworth.com and type in Habs360 at checkout. Frameworth is an official licensee of the NHL, NHLPA, Hockey Canada, CFL, and the Hockey Hall of Fame. For more information, visit Frameworth.com. I bet you enjoy sporting your best Habs jerseys, dressing up your kids and pets in the cutest Habs gear, and showing off your decked-out hockey cave or fan ink. Well, don't just show your friends. Show your Habs. The team at All Habs wants you to boast your finest pictures for our global network of Montreal Canadiens fans. Include the hashtag ShowYourHabs when posting your fan photos on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Then log on to ShowYourHabs.com to see your entries, along with photos and posts from Habs fans all over the world. A proud member of the Rocket Sports Media Network. This is the Habs 360 Podcast. Featured on allhabs.net. Welcome back to episode 178, part 2 of our two best of episodes. 
With the Canadians keep losing and Mark Bergevin making no changes to the coaching staff and players, the fan base started to ask Canadian's owner Jeff Molson to take action to set the team back in the right direction. In March, Ottawa Senators owner Eugene Melnick spoke to the fans about his disappointment of his team's season. On the March 26th episode, we were joined by former NHL player Bobby Dulles and we asked him whether Jeff Molson should do the same. Well, I'll tell you what, I don't, I don't know Eugene Melnick personally, but I know Jeff Molson personally. Uh, I, I know that Jeff is a, uh, a type of guy, he's a good guy, uh, conscious of, of, of the Montreal, conscious of the area, and he's not a guy that's ever been controversial in his life. Uh, I, I really don't think that he is going to come out and say too much. I, uh, why? Because I, I believe that Jeff is, a, is the type of guy that he hires good people around him to run a business. You know, and uh, Jeff is, is the type of guy that he hired Mark Bergevin. Uh, he he oversees hiring of Michel Therrien, and I, I really think that he's he just turned over the reins in a lot of ways to those guys, uh, and and they're basically they're, they're going to run with it. Now, will he come out and say something, a statement of some sort that, you know what, we're going to improve our team for next year? I, I would imagine that something like that would come out. Will he, will he do it in, in the manner of, of Eugene Melnick of, of basically saying, don't worry, it's the end of the world and we're going to make some heavy changes? I don't think Jeff Molson will come out and say that kind of stuff, that's for sure. He's just too, he's just too quiet of a guy and not a controversial guy. Bobby, it's Rick Stevens. Um, earlier this week, um, uh, we published at allhabs.net an article by one of our writers, Chris Nardella, uh, and he had asked the question and tried to answer, uh, does David Darnay have a future with the Montreal Canadiens? And when I promoted that article from um, my All Habs uh, account, you responded, um, if he's back, the team will never move forward. I wondered if you could uh, elaborate on that for us. Well, I, I really think that at the time when David DeHarnay came in to the Montreal Canadiens, there was there was a hole, there was a space that was made available uh, to him due to the lack, maybe a lack of talent, maybe lack of people in the minors, if you want to call it that. I think he jumped in there. I think he performed uh, to the best of his ability for a couple of years. But if you look at last year and you look at this year, the way it's progressing, and not just because of injuries, I think that his play has slowed down. His, his drive and his determination has slowed down, and and I and I can't see him in, in the top in the top two top two position at, at center. Now, if if you put him on the third line, the the problem with putting him on the third line is, in my personal opinion, is I would much prefer having Lars Eller there as as that type of player being there in that position, a big body that could play well defensively, can forecheck, can do can do a lot more than a guy like David DeHarnay. And I just think that I think it's time to move forward in a different direction. If you really think about it, guys, if if David DeHarnay was available to to the majority of the teams in the National Hockey League to play on the top two lines in the National Hockey League, I'm I'm, I'm saying every team, where could he play other than Montreal? Other than Montreal right now, I don't think there's room for him anywhere in the National Hockey League in the top two slots. So now, if you put him down to the third slot. Do you really want a guy that's five foot five on your third line centering? That's not a very aggressive, not not a guy that's a ground and pound type guy. So it basically answers it. The question answers itself. I can't see him going forward with Montreal Canadiens because if they do, I really think that they haven't improved their team at all. And that's not a knock to David DeHarnet. It's just a, just a knock towards a team basically saying we're okay with what we have. And I I personally don't think they have the team to do it. With, with David Harney on the team right now. Just to just to follow up on that, uh, you mentioned uh, you would prefer Eller over Dayarnay in that third uh, line center yes. slot. Uh, the game on Thursday night against Detroit, we saw um, Coach Terrian actually make a decision of putting Dayarnay over Eller uh, on the ice with 16 seconds to go. Uh, McCarron was taking the face off. Um, Eller had. Uh, Five shots on goal in that game. Darnay none, um, and and it came down to the puck found its way to to Darnay between his his skates. He had kind of an open side. He was uh, just kind of knocked off the puck and and game over. Um, what about that decision? What is it about this um, 
you know, obsession that some are calling it, um, to put Dernay over Eller in those kind of key situations. Well, I, I think you, you, you bring up a point that the majority of, 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 of media, hockey fans of the Montreal Canadiens, whatever you want to call it, are asking the same questions. Unfortunately, is we're asking it on, on, a, on a small radio uh, broadcast here compared to how come nobody asked it after the game. You know, whether, uh, whether it was on TV or whether it was on radio, why didn't anybody ask that same question? Because I, I was watching a game with my father that night, and we were saying, with, he called timeout and says, oh, and for a joke, my father says, oh, watch, he's going to put the harnay on him, and we're start laughing. And it's like, all of a sudden, and if you notice, the harnay was not on the ice at the time, and he didn't even get on the ice. He was tapped on last second as a desperation, like he wasn't even advised he would be going on. And it's like, why is the automatic default button going to him? I don't understand it. Like you said, Lars Eller played a much better game. Uh, Byron played a much better game. There was a lot of game, guys that were playing much, much better than David DeHarnay that night. And a guy just coming off, uh, not playing for about a month, month and a half, and all of a sudden he's in, he's in the limelight. I just don't get it. And there's a good example of you have to get rid of this guy because if you don't get rid of this guy, Michel Therrien, I don't know what it is, he refuses to stop playing this guy. He wants to play this guy. He, he, he plays David Daherne ahead of McCarron, where I think McCarron could be the prototype third-line guy, uh, possibly second-line guy in the wing. He, he's, he's taking away from development and putting in guys that he's more comfy with. And I really think that's a really bad call. And it, and it showed in, 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 in the game with making that call the last 16 seconds. It's, it's just mind-blowing. So you mentioned that the Canadians should get rid of David Daherne. Uh, my question, should the Canadians get rid of Michel Therrien during the offseason? Well, uh, you know what, guys? The problem is, is, is uh, you know, we're, we're all thinking that, uh, you know, what, this should happen this or that should happen. The problem is you re-sign the guy for another four years. You know, uh, you give him an extension, a good extension. Uh, and I'm not saying that he didn't merit an extension, okay? With, with the years that he's had, you know, bringing the team to the playoffs, getting to a certain area. But what was what was I was disappointed is, why would you give a guy that, that doesn't have a long-term track record with any team in National Hockey League or, or whatever it may be, you give him a four-year extension. Now, by giving him a four-year extension, you basically said, I'm committed to this guy. Mark Berger Mark had no choice but to back him because he just gave him a four-year extension. Now, going forward... If you, if you were to get rid of them after one year, you're still eating three years. And, and, you know, and they had all the excuses in the world with Price being hurt, this guy being hurt, that happened. You know, all, the, all the stars aligned against the Montreal Canes this year. So they had every excuse in the book to do it. Now you're, so you know what, Michel Therrien had the same excuse. He goes in the office and says, what do you want me to do? I have the American Hockey League team right here right now. But unfortunately, before all these big things happened, they were on a huge winning streak and the team just slipped away. So I think that he's going to be on a very, very short leash. And if it's not by Mark Bergman, it should be by Jeff Molson basically saying, look, we're going to give him the benefit of the doubt with all we've had. But if you're not going to go out and improve your team, and what I mean about that is bring in players that are going to make a difference in your lineup, you know what? It's the same thing. It's going to be the Carrie Price show waiting for Carey to stop everything, maybe give up a goal or two, and try to win either 2-1 or 3-2. And that, that means your team hasn't grown and hasn't improved. So after a, a season that, that's featured the, the biggest collapse in franchise history, that, there's got to be a big move. There's got to be either a scapegoat, and, and you know, Terrian's often mentioned, uh, maybe it's Sylvain Lefebvre in, in uh, St. John's. Uh, it's either that to... to quell the fans' anger, or it's, it's a big signing. It's uh, uh, a Stamkos, which I don't think is going to happen, but something's got to happen. Um, where, what's most likely? What's, what's the most likely scenario in the offseason that you see? Well, I, I think that right now, I mean, you really think about it. If everybody comes back healthy next year, what, what have the fans, what have the media been clamoring for for the last couple of years? And that's a top six score. You know, bring in a bona fide guy. And, you know, my argument, what I've been saying is what they, all they've been doing is, is year after year after year is just bringing in Band-Aid guys. You know, bring in Pat Anto, 
bring in Briere, bring in Gomez, uh, bring in Semen. Everything, every time they sign these guys, if you really, really think about it, they sign these guys to be a top six player, and every time when they signed it, right next to the name that was signed, it, it was written, we hope he can do the job. You know, we hope he can bring back that, that fire he had before. And, and for me, every time you put that word hope in front of a player's name, that means you didn't do your job. And I don't care about getting guys on the cheap where they're only a million dollars, only a million dollars. Well, unfortunately, it's somebody's paying that a million dollars. And, and then what happens when the guy doesn't work, you get rid of him, and then you promote a guy who's making 650 to the million-dollar range. So it's just like they just put band-aid over band-aid. They, they need to bring in a top-six player because if they don't bring in a top-six player, and I'm talking about a guy that still has some, some gas left in the gas tank, and it doesn't have to be Stamkos. You know, there's a lot of guys in the league that are not happy with where they're at for whatever reason. You know, whether they don't like the area, they don't like the town, they don't like the coach, they don't like something, you can find those guys, but you have to go out and search for those guys. And, and for once, you know what, pay a guy that, that, that's held accordingly, you know, $5 million, $6 million, $7 million, whatever it is. I'm not saying go out and spend over the salary cap. But you've got to find a way to bring in this. Because if you're waiting for Max Pacioretty, uh, Galchenyuk, all these other guys to be your number one guys, they're just not. It's not in their DNA to play hard every single night for the majority of these guys. So they're more like, I would say, like more like 1Bs. You know, like one that at times they're going to be the top line that night. But game in, game out, they need some help and support. Guys like Byron, guys like, you know, Weiss. And at the beginning of the year, these guys aren't those guys that can step up and play in the first roles in the first two lines. So go out and do it. Because if you do it, I think you give your team instant credibility and you give yourself a chance to go further in the playoffs. And Bobby, you've played about 700 games in the NHL, including the, the playoffs. Uh, you've been on teams that uh, didn't make it to uh, the postseason. Yeah. If you look at games like last weekend when the Canadians played the Ottawa Senators and they played the Calgary Flames where it showed the Canadians weren't, were no-shows, and then on Thursday night against the Detroit Red Wings, there's that whole second period that was just a horrible period to, uh, to watch. From your experience, when a team knows that they're not going to make the playoffs, do players uh, stop playing or do they care less? Well, I, I think that's, that just goes to show you as 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 fans as as media people is who still has the fire in the tank you know i i look I, like like you said before i played on some teams that haven't made the playoffs during my career but once that became known and and became common knowledge to everybody what's the first thing you have to do well i got to play for next year's contract i got to play for next year's job and I don't see that urgency from a lot of players. And, and the one that's, that's sort of disappointed me the most in that area, that I, that I found that he hasn't turned it up a notch to show for next year and, and show that he still cares, is a guy like Thomas Placanitz. I think he's been playing very nonchalant hockey. I don't want to get hurt for the summertime. I'm just going to take it. I'm just, you know why? Because i got a contract next year anyway. Now, that's a red flag in my book. When you see that, the guy's not playing for next year's job. That's called complacency. If you, don't, if you don't think about moving even a guy like that next year, you're going to get the same thing. If the team doesn't make the playoffs, or even if he does make the playoffs, will he turn it up a notch? I'm not sure if he has that anymore. So the team definitely needs a makeover. And one last question, Bobby, before we let you go. Sure. So you just spoke about uh, Thomas Plekanec and how yes. you, you, you feel that he doesn't seem the urgency. Whose uh, responsibility is that to try to get that uh, out of it. Is it the head coach or is it one of the players who wears a C or an E on his jersey? Well, uh, would, would it be would it be a safe thing to say that you know when when you see a guy dogging it out there, don't you think that a guy like the the head coach or a GM is bringing him in the office and say, you know what, uh, do you think you're playing well? Do you think you deserve? To, to get what you're getting and what we gave to you out of good faith of the player the player that we the player that we signed, you know you got to be able to put you got to be able to look, get up in the in the morning uh, whether you win or lose and, and and look that's always been my DNA is w- uh, whether it's 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 hockey checkers golf arm wrestling I always play to win that's that's in my DNA but I don't see that that urgency 
from some of the Kayans and, and, and more dominantly on Thomas Buchanan. It looks like he's just playing a regular shift, and tonight I feel like it, and tomorrow I might not. And for me, that's a red flag where a guy who's been on the same team for a long, long time, sometimes change is good, and that applies to everybody. It's always great to get insights from a former NHL player, Bobby Dulles, and to get his opinion on a player like uh, Thomas Plekanec. On our season finale, we announced Alex Galchenyuk as our winner of the season with his uh, 30-goal season. Galchenyuk started the season playing center, then he was moved to the wing before being returned to center to finish the season. Michel Therrien said that Galchenyuk we saw at center to start the season wasn't the same play we were seeing in the final stretch. On the March 12th episode of the Habs 360 podcast, we asked TSN Montreal Bureau John Liu if he agreed. Oh, well, well, absolutely, simply because he's in his natural position and he's getting a heck of a lot more ice time than 12, 13 minutes a game. And he's playing with the best winger on the team. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's, it's, it's self-evident. And uh, uh, what Michelle Terrien was saying yesterday is that Alex Galchenyuk deserves a lot of credit for developing the way he has, and he's absolutely right, because this is all Alex Galchenyuk. This is not really, uh, to a large degree, the coaching staff that's doing this. This is Galchenyuk finally getting an opportunity, although... Uh, on the other hand, Terry has said that uh, that he, he's been saying that Galchenyuk is more ready for, has been more ready for this opportunity, and by that he means that uh, he felt that he's he's more mature, that he's making better decisions in the offensive zone, that he's more responsible defensively, and uh, whether you choose to view that with uh, the through the prism of what the coaches is saying or what you have been observing, what the stats bear out that. Galchenyuk had been producing points per 60 minutes at a better clip uh, at center as opposed to wing. Well, that's uh, subject to one's perspective. I know there's a large camp that is uh, uh, certainly not supportive of what Terrian is selling. Uh, that's anecdotally just from watching Galchenyuk uh, play once he's gotten the opportunities and, and higher caliber wingers. Uh, it's really sort of the chicken and the egg. But there's a large segment of people who do be- believe in the media and in the fan base that had David D'Arnais not broken his foot, that Galchenyuk would not have uh, received this opportunity. And uh, I think that we have to sort of give uh, Terriam sort of a raspberry on on that front, simply because Stu Cowan of the Montreal Gazette, when he asked the question yesterday, which basically uh, was in that vein, uh, you know, would Galchenyuk have been getting this opportunity had it not been due to injury? Uh, Tarion didn't answer that question. He didn't answer that part of the question. Uh, and uh, so I think that uh, the perception is that Galchenyuk would not have, and I think that we would tend to probably agree with that simply because don't know the number of games that that stretch uh, had existed prior to D'Arnais injuring his foot uh, and Galchenyuk being taken off of center around mid-January. But uh, basically, D'Arnais logging first-line center minutes and first power play unit minutes was producing pretty much nothing. And uh, uh, there was no indication from Terrian that he was going to pitch that experiment and put Alex Galchenyuk back at center because any time he was asked about Galchenyuk at wing versus center, there seemed to be no commitment to moving him back to the middle. So necessity being the mother of invention has allowed Galchenyuk to flourish. And, uh, you know, Terrian at least gave Galchenyuk credit yesterday for the development uh, that we're seeing, of uh, you know, basically a a potential superstar in full flights in the making over the last dozen games. From the original timeline that we got from the Canadians for David Darnay, it was uh, was three weeks, and that was on February 19th. So that means if that timeline respected, he's coming back sooner or or later. Uh, How do you see him getting uh, integrated back into the lineup? Do you see him going back with Pacioretty, or do you see him having maybe as a lesser role as did in the beginning of the year, like in the third-line capacity or maybe even lower? Yeah, well, as the lineup is presently composed, uh, I I don't see how David D'Arnais can go back into the middle, simply because it would be madness to take Alex Galchenyuk out of that first-line center position. 
Uh, Marzella, when he's healthy, certainly should be third-line center. Uh, Thomas Bocanitz is a, a mainstay in the middle. And then you have a logjam after that because Philippe Dano, they, they, they acquired principally to play center. And uh, when you watch him, he's very smart, quick, makes good decisions, good hockey IQ. I don't see how you could take him out of the middle position as well. But then that leaves Tory Mitchell, who's been playing on the wing, Mike McCarron, that they want to give a look at center. And uh, whether he's fourth line or third line, there's a logjam now. So, in fact, the Canadians are up by lead 5-3-2 in their last 10 games, 7-0-1 in their last home ga- eight home games. They're having a little bit of a run. They're keeping their slim playoff hopes alive. And so, really, where does David D'Arnais fit back into the lineup? And I just don't see it being practical, putting him into a center position, which would mean wing. But there again, it's, well, I mean, you've got Patch ready. You have uh, potentially Andrew Ghetto going back to the left side, although I think he'd probably stay on the right side. Eller, if they want to put him on the left wing with Tukanitz. Um They like Della Rose defensively in a third or fourth line capacity. And uh, so where do you put David D'Arnais? Fourth line, left wing? Um, don't know if that's really a productive spot for him. And so when you, you sort of do the math and look at, okay, three weeks from February 19th, well, we're pretty much at that point, and he hasn't resumed practicing with the team. So whether he's been skating on his own, whether he's uh, going to be getting back into scrimmages with the team next week, unknown at this point. There hasn't been any uh, tangible update from Michel Terrier on that front. But I think that they're probably behind closed doors in a bit of a quandary as well. It's like, where do you put him back in the lineup once he is healthy? David Dagnet didn't play in the top line when he returned from his injury. That certainly made Habs fans happy, and it'll be interesting to see what his role will be next season. Will he still be with the Habs at the start of the season? Will he be bought out? Traded? That'll be a story to follow. That'll do it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. If you missed part one of our best of episodes or want to listen to any of our archives, visit the Habs 360 page on allhabs.net or search Habs 360 on iTunes. Once you're there, make sure you hit the subscribe button in order not to miss any of our episodes. Thank you for listening. My name is Chris G. You can follow me on Twitter at ChrisG1980, and we'll talk again soon. Take care. For the latest news on the Montreal Canadiens, follow us on Twitter at Habs360 and visit allhabs.net.